Hey, everybody. I'm Tracy. And this is Bim. And this is another round with Heaven and Tracy. <laughs> Even though Heaven is not in Heaven's seat today. So here's what happened. <laughs> Bim got back from the RNC and the DNC. And she was like, you know what? I just need more madness in my life. So she kidnapped Heaven and she was like, bam, mm, I'm going to take over your part of the show. And we were like, no, no, don't. That's very mean. And then Bim was like, mwahaha. <laughs> that is exactly accurate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Alternately, we just like them. Um, so obviously, I know and love and adore you. And people who have listened to other episodes of the show also know, love and adore you. But for those who are not yet on the I Love Bim train, who are you? What are you doing here? What the hell, man? What's going on? <laughs> um, I am Bim Adewunmi. I am a writer at BuzzFeed.com, the website. Um, and I write about different things, uh, culture and the arts and everything else. And most recently, I attended both the Republican and the Democrat National Convention. Ouch. So my eyes are wild at the moment because I have seen <laughs> some shit now. She's seen everything. In the words of Dave Chappelle, I have seen some shit now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's what I do. And I am here because you very kindly asked me to be here. And I absolutely love film and so mm-hmm. i'm here to talk about something that i love very much hey well let's get this party started right and quickly as they said <laughs> in the 90s <laughs> sure. so as, as bim said we're going to be talking about black film the entire episode entire episode sure fuck it whole episode <laughs> bim does a lot of writing about like the representation of black people black women specifically in various forms of media, and she wrote this really, really great piece on black girl coming-of-age movies. And I think this is a great time to have this conversation because have you seen Stranger Things on Netflix? I have begun to watch it. I'm two episodes away from the end. Ooh. I can't wait to get into that discussion. But we're also going to talk to Aisha Harris. She has a new podcast with Slate called Represent where she talks about the representations of black folks in media, much like we all do. So let's do it. You ready? I am the readiest. Uh Uh-oh. Capital ready. I don't know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) No one does. (laughs) I mentioned Stranger Things because I feel like everybody, and by everybody I mean like two people on my timeline, are talking about coming of age films because that's sort of what the movie is, kind of maybe a little bit. Yeah, I mean Stranger Things is... um... It's 10 episodes. I think they're all about 45 minutes each. Mm -hmm. The show owes so much to so many genres and so many shows and so many films. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very possible to look at Stranger Things and view it purely through a lens of coming of age. Right. If the the idea is that there is a large event that alters your your sense of being and changes you in a way from being a child um, into an adult. Mm -hmm. And Stranger Things, I think, absolutely covers that ground where you have this life-changing event that also kind of marks your movement from child to at least um, adolescent. Right, right. So a thing that I saw a couple of people tweeting about, one being our good friend Nicole Perkins, a.k.a. Tennessee Whiskey Woman on Twitter, she was um, she was watching the show and it got her to thinking about black girl coming-of-age films. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's because there's like there are certain like genres of film, of TV, and just like certain... like emotions that it seems like are kept from like black women and girls like we're not allowed to just be like goofy and funny for the sake of it Mm -hmm. she was trying to find like a good list of black girl coming of age films and was kind of hard pressed to do it Mm. and that reminded me of your amazing essay entitled finding our own coming of age narratives you can read it at buzzfeed.com the website and we're also going to put it in the newsletter and it was a really really great 
essay because it made me think about stuff that I don't typically think about. I don't I don't know that I like coming of age mm-hmm. films. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because my own coming of age was very like unremarkable. Right. And I just kind of don't want to think about it. But that's but that's also that I think a very interesting point. I think for the vast majority of black girls across the world. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I'll take that back. For the vast majority of girls in the UK and in the US specifically, mm-hmm. which is kind of what I know best, our childhoods okay. and our, our movement from childhood into puberty and beyond is generally unremarkable. However, the stories that you tend to find mm-hmm. that feature black girls turn um, that they tend to be quite dramatic. So yeah. they and they're traumatic too, traumatic right? as well, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to have like it's not enough for a black girl to exist and to just you know swan through life fairly you know regularly. Mm-hmm. There has to be some kind of traumatic race event, yeah, or you know, or like or, a sexual or assault. a sexual assault, mm-hmm. or oh she's homeless, or you know she has whatever the hell. The thing is, I think black lives in general have certain challenges that many other lives do not have. And I think they're absolutely worthy of inspection. Mm -hmm. But I think what tends to happen is we limit um, the stories we tell about black girls. Mm -hmm. And it's almost as though you can't graduate from being a black girl into a black woman without a level of pain. Right, right. Or that people just aren't interested in seeing stories of black girls who are turning into black women without it. Right, right. something comforting in that that image of like the... The, the strong black woman, you yeah, know? yeah, exactly. She's been through so much, right? And, and she's, she's still standing, standing on her own two feet. exactly, which is such a nonsense mm-hmm. because a lot of the time, what it tends to do is not show you any vulnerability, mm-hmm. so it kind of flattens you to a very two D kind of representation mm-hmm. where black girls have a life of of drama from the minute they're born right. till the minute they die. It's such an act of erasure to do it that way, and Absolutely. I think the reason that that happens is because that's what most people think that black women's lives are, well, and exactly. so you have to see images and representations that already fall in line with what you do. Right. Because otherwise, you get uncomfortable, and God forbid. When I when I wrote that piece, I asked on Twitter. I said, "Can you send me some examples of black girl coming of age films?" And they were like the usual suspects. So we had mm-hmm. Crooklyn, and we had. The you were, referenced a movie like called The Fits that right. I haven't seen. The Fits is a new film. So that was kind of the, 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 the central theme of the piece I was writing. I watched this film. Mm-hmm. And even though there was a level of drama, there wasn't trauma. Mm. So the black girl's life was played very normal. She had a loving older brother. She had a loving mother. They were established very firmly as positive things in her life. They mm-hmm. were not a source of pain. They were not, you know, it wasn't Precious for fuck's sake. You know, it wasn't kind of yeah, like, oh, oh God, God. Dr- which I, I refuse to watch Precious. Um, uh, can we can we pause at this point in the conversation? Sure. It makes me uncomfortable how many white people love Precious. Oh, God. It makes me so, I just feel like I need a shower. Yeah, that, that I, I feel very much the same. There are some narratives that I think, kind of excite uh, mm-hmm. white viewers. Yeah, just like Boys in the Hood did. Right, oh, right. Oh, such a realistic portrayal. Right. How did you know? This is, and how, whose life, who, who are you talking about? The yeah. number of times when someone says, oh, it's, it's, it's basically, so Precious for me is a film version of The Wire and how white mm. people love to tell you they've seen The Wire. Oh my God. And you're kind of like, really, bruv? I don't, I'm not from Baltimore. <laughs> what are you, what are you even doing? What are you saying? So yeah, it's, it's, it's it's interesting. The Fitz was very was a very interesting film for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there are so many narratives, and the fact that we choose often to portray the one of pain and trauma mm-hmm. kind of says a lot about what the world is happy to see as a black woman's story. Whew. It reminds me. So in Nicole's thread about what are some good black girls go adventuring movies, um, I have a friend named Ashley who lives in Louisville. Hey, girl. She tweets as Ashley eats. Ashley with two E's. She says, that's tough. To have movies tell it, we don't go on adventures or come of age. We just come out the womb weary. 
that's exact. That's the most accurate Ooh. fucking thing. Like you come out massaging your temples, right? Like you come out like, <laughs> Lord, how am I gonna feed these kids? <laughs> you're a newborn. Yeah, you're a Don't newborn, matter. but you're also a forty year old woman who's working right. four jobs with right. three kids. Ugh. And I also hate that line that I read in some uh, novels, usually novels written by white people where they're describing black women, yeah. and it's like it was as if her eyes had seen a lifetime of you know <laughs> she was much older than her fifteen years. Be like, which is a lie. Be a girl. It's a lie, especially especially because black resolutely does not crack. So it's kind of like, <laughs> hello? Uh, no, that's a lie. That's a damn dirty lie. Okay, so I cannot name one single black British film that I've ever seen. Truly. I'm going to ask you a very unfair and very generalized question. Sure. What is black British film like? Who the fuck knows? <laughs> um, no, no, no. I, I kid. I kid. Okay. So in the last few years, I think we've seen a very interesting, not enough, but still uh, a rise of black British film. Okay. That seems exaggerated when you look at the numbers. Um, but I think it's important to still count the successes that have come out in the last few years. And one of them is a film called Belle by Ama Asante. Oh, I haven't seen Belle yet. Belle is a delicious amazing. movie. It is Ooh, a, deli- a delicious movie. It's, I saw it when I was in, I was in Italy. Which makes me sound incredibly cosmopolitan. Yeah, you're the fanciest person I've ever met. I mean, that is my middle name. Um, but um, I watched it. Um, I went. I went to see it with one of my best friends, and we kind of throughout the film, we just kind of kept clutching one another's oh, hands man. because we were like, "Oh my god!" First of all, Gugu Mbatha-Raw is luminous. I can't. Right. I can't deal with her. But also, it's a film again that it seems to me very clear. Uh, it's written by Miss um, Ansaga. She's a screenwriter, mm-hmm. and Ama Asante is a director. And these are two black women writing a black girl story. Mm-hmm. And it looks that way. Ah, uh, my heart. Right. Um, I feel like I instinctually know what you mean. Right. Mm-hmm. So first of all, I mean, the lighting looks amazing. Like it looks like uh. it's favoring Gugu and her coloring, mm-hmm. which Ooh. to be fair, she's not even that dark or anything. It just yeah. looks, it looks like a love letter to her. Uh-huh. The film looks beautiful, but also there are some things that um, her character Belle says mm-hmm. that seem to me to be very clear from the mind of a black woman, from the pen of a black woman. And there were a couple of times when you kind of, when she would say something and I would kind of take a deep breath or I'd look across at my friend and mm-hmm. all you could see in the dark were our teeth just gleaming because we were so happy. Aww. Right. There was another film a few years ago called Gone Too Far, which again was written by a screen. Um, no, was written by a playwright called Bola Agbaje and directed by um, Destiny Ekaraga. Mm-hmm. And both of them are Nigerian British. And I think that was an excellent film. And that kind of had elements. It was basically a comedy of manners, um, which again is. What is a comedy of manners? Well, that was, was just so elegant and fancy. <laughs> and I have no idea what she's talking about. It's a look at a very specific world. And that's the world of black Britons. So it's about Ooh. us by us. Mm-hmm. Right. So Gone Too Far is. So th- those two films alone, I think, did a lot just to kind of, you know, the fact that they were both black women directors mm-hmm. um, writing uh, and directing films specifically about black people, uh-huh. but black British people as well. Because I think there is a tendency, as I've said before, for blackness to center around African-Americanness when there are so many other types of blackness out there in the world. That's the maddening. Right. And then Mm -hmm. on the smaller screen, you have people like Cecilia Meke, Mm -hmm. who made Aki and Saltfish, um, which is like this web series of two best friends, two black girls again. Mm -hmm. And they are funny and they are warm. And in fact, I think it's now at the BBC. So it's going to be a BBC series as well, which kudos to Cecile. Right, exactly. So you have all these stories Uh that are being told that are not just about the hardships of being black, which is not to discount any hardships that of you course. might come across. We just need like a variety we just of need more other stories. things to consume. Right, you know? exactly. As a black Brit yourself, mm-hmm. when is the first time, like what was the first movie that you watched that you felt 
yourself as both black and British represented? I don't know if it ever did. I mean, not as a child. Mm -hmm. I just, there aren't that many black films made in the UK. There was more representation on television, but even Mm. that was kind of paltry. Like in the grand scheme of, you know, black people on screen. Um, But I remember watching Desmond's. um, What is Desmond's? I think it was on Channel 4 in the UK. And it was this long running, fantastically funny sitcom about Mm -hmm. a guy called Desmond who ran a barbershop in South London. Um, But prior to all of that, um, of course, uh, The Cosby Show. Mm. The Huxtables meant a lot to me. They just did. You know, I used to watch that followed by The Wonder Years. Aww, and I remember what th- <laughs> would you do if I shame? Had to. Are you, are you singing and yawning like Ashley suggested? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. Did it work? It did. It really did. I thought, oh my God, Joy Cocker's in the studio. Um, um, no, no. But I remember watching, for example, uh, The Wonder Years. Mm-hmm. And I loved Winnie. And even as a child, I remember thinking to myself, ah, Winnie could have been black. Right. You could have made Winnie black. Right. It would have literally been fine. It would have been the same fucking It would have been the same show. Mm -hmm. Instead, you give us the same old thing over and over again. And then, of course, so many black people watching this. I mean, we have no choice but to relate. Right. That's why why we know all their fucking references. I ask people, what's your favorite rom-com? And it's always a Meg Ryan. Uh. It's always a Meg Ryan. (laughs) And I love Meg Ryan rom-coms. I think they are excellent. Uh Uh-huh. Having said that, I talk about Sanaa Lathan and they go, who? Right, And I'm like, she's the black Meg Ryan. (laughs) And I get very angry. (laughs) This is not going to come as a shock to anybody. I don't really like rom-coms. I'm going to take off my headphones and walk out of here right now. No, (laughs) don't. That being said, I feel like I recognize the importance Mm. of like black representation in things like romantic comedies because there's issues of, especially when it comes to black women, there's issues of, you know, sexuality. Are we allowed to like have crushes on people? Can people have crushes on us? Sure. And I feel like in, and maybe this is why I don't really fuck with Mm rom-coms. It's because most often they're Meg Ryan films. Sure. (laughs) They're white folks. And like, if there's a black woman or a brown, a brown woman in it, She's the sidekick. She's the, she's one the best friend. She's the best she's friend giving all the Girl, what you need to do yes. is go back to that banker because mm, <laughs> I'm going to go back and take care of my seven kids with my ancient baby daddy. You know, and I'm just like, I don't want this. Exactly. I don't want any of this. Exactly. So if Sanaa Lathan is the Meg Ryan uh-huh. of rom-coms, of black rom-coms, yeah. what in your opinion is like the best or at least your favorite black rom-com? I think it's Brown Sugar. Really? Yeah. I know it's cheesy as shit. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's a rom-com, so it kind of has to be. How dare you? Um, (laughs) (laughs) But but genuinely, I think in terms of being funny and cute Mm -hmm. and also showcasing black people falling in love in a very kind of natural, you know, again, just a thing that happens. And Uh also the fact that they, you know, Brown Sugar is about two childhood friends who grew up and then got together. Mm-hmm. And I think for so many people, that no, is wait, the is narrative. This, is this the one where, oh God, where she starts <laughs> off, she's like, so when did you first fall in love with hip hop? That's the very one. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I'm sorry. You know what? I need for you to pick up your vomit. I'm sorry. And get out of here. Um, I have put it back from where please it came do, from. Please do, please um, do. Because brown sugar is, yes, very cheesy. Uh-huh. But you know what cheese is? Delicious and you nutritious. Are, I cannot disagree with anything Thank you and good said. day. Thank and you. I, I love me some cheese. It's well documented. There you go. <laughs> How I feel about cheese. Yeah. But I think I think it's it's very, like you say, it's important for you to see yourself yeah. fall in love. Because black people do it every single day. They oh fall in gosh. love all the time. Mm-hmm. As much as white people and mm-hmm. other 
races. And yet the, the narrative of what love looks like Ugh. is of a flaxen haired beauty. Ugh. All of us are worthy of a cheesy dash to the airport to catch us before we get on that plane to Paris. Oh my God, it's right? never gonna happen to me. It's never gonna happen to me neither. Rub it in my face like that. <laughs> it's rude. Um, I, I mean, that's, that for me is the high bar of what a romance is. Yeah. It's two things. A, love has to sound like, um, has to feel like a 90s R&B song. <gasps> oh my God. And two, my would-be lover <laughs> must chase me to the airport <laughs> and grab me before you, I get on the flight. Are you in a trench coat? And like, I mean, maybe I am. Okay. Maybe I'm clutching a very cute, you know, bag. Uh huh. And I'm like, what is it, Steve? What do you want, Steve? <laughs> and then Steve makes his case. And then, you know, he kisses me. Uh huh. He pats my afro because Aww. you can't run your fingers through a fucking afro. <laughs> and then we walk off into the sunset together. That's my dream. I just Aww. feel like, I mean, part of the reason why I'm here this week is to basically put this pitch out. Uh -huh. For my would-be Steve to come chase me at the airport. Steve, if you're listening, if you would like to chase Bim down at an airport, <laughs> not for send us an email. <laughs> not for terrorist purposes, just oh, for important. love. Very important. <laughs> just for love. If there are not enough good black rom-coms made by like decent people, then Tyler Perry's going to make them all. And then every woman's going to have horrible thoughts about herself and sex and her body. <laughs> We're going to hate ourselves for yeah. wanting to be loved and yeah. wanting to have good sex. And yeah. that's it. I mean, Tyler Perry is, I think, two things. He is problematic mm -hmm. and he is also necessary, oh. which is a terrifying... Talk to me about the necessary part. Well, I think, I think that he exists and there are audiences for his films. Huge audiences. And that's, I think that's worth kind of looking at. I think a lot of people, and I count myself among this group, I am unrepentantly bougie. Oh. I mean, I you. mean... Facts are facts. I, I mean, mean, it is what it is. I am a, a bougie British black girl. It's okay. I've I've accepted myself. J'accepte. Um, in there speaking French. I mean, that's here. the bougiest fucking thing. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Um, I think there is um, an urge amongst people like me to look at Tyler Perry films mm -hmm. and to scoff and to roll my eyes and to say, Jesus Christ, this is shit. Uh-huh. And then you look at the people who not only know those films, but love them very deeply. Uh -huh. And I think part of that maybe is because they're often the only option. Mm -hmm. But I think another part of that is, I don't know, people fucking love Tyler Perry and yeah. they love his films. And I can't discount that mm -hmm. just because I find them personally objectionable. Mm -hmm. So I just have to suck that one up. But I do think that his films are not great. They're not technically great. They're like socially irresponsible. And they are socially irresponsible. What, like he's got to stop giving women AIDS as punishment for like having sex I or mean, for having a career instead of a man. And also the light skin thing. Yeah, it's like, like I mean every, the most obvious, like listen. It's just, you need, everyone needs a Bible reading light skin man to save them. <laughs> Everybody. Every single black woman on earth. Uh, it's not a great uh, story to tell. Mm-hmm. But again, it is one story. I think the issue is that we need a plurality of stories. Mm -hmm. And Tyler Perry is welcome to exist in the world, obviously, making these kinds of films. Mm -hmm. I just wish there were like at least 12 other options yeah. for black girls to look at and be like, oh, that's me. Right. Especially like in the South where so many of his movies mm. take place. You know, mm. if it's like either I have to watch Meg Ryan and identify with her, which, you know, sure, some people can, obviously. Sure. Or I have to see a Tyler Perry movie to see people that look like me, then I mean, naturally, you know? Right. We just need more black girls on screen telling different stories. There you go. Speaking of different stories, check Yay. out this transition. <laughs> 
let's talk about Nollywood films. Hey. Um, so I have to admit, my knowledge of Nollywood films is limited to the hilarious vines that I see and watch several times a week in my life. <laughs> they look amazing. They are amazing. What is a Nollywood film? In a very reductive definition, Nollywood is basically Nigerian Hollywood. Right. However, it produces far more than Hollywood does. Mm. It also has a range of production values. So uh, the quality is not always great, <laughs> but they are incredibly popular both in Nigeria and across the African continent. Mm -hmm. I remember reading a piece once that said children, I think in Tanzania, were speaking English with Nigerian accents. Wow, because right. of Nollywood films? Because of Nollywood films. <gasps> Which, as a Nigerian, obviously, I was like, of course. <laughs> because uh, Nigerians are nothing if not prideful. <laughs> um, but but Nollywood is, is a huge, I mean, it's a phenomenon. It's uh -huh. basically this huge industry of films, television, all this stuff. And they, they land every time. Like, they find their audiences and then they grow. They become these, you know, cultural juggernauts. They're just huge. Mm -hmm. They're for us, by us. Fubu, if you will. Fubu, if you will. And the, the thing about Nollywood also is that because it's um, it's relatively young, mm -hmm. um, especially in this... How young are we talking? I mean, Nollywood, I think, really hit like a, a, a tipping point in the 90s. I remember when I was at boarding school in Nigeria, we would have, you know, some Saturdays where we would have Nigerian films and where, you know, there would be a screening mm -hmm. in, the, in the school auditorium or in the dining hall. Oh. And we would all go and watch. It, for, I think for many people who had been growing up in Nigeria at that time had only watched Hollywood versions of blackness. Mm. And then suddenly there were these films and most of them were kind of quite soapy and had elements of the supernatural perhaps, which Ooh. again is what many Nigerians are into. Something that I've always wanted to do is find one of the Nollywood films that are like people pre pretending to be like actual like black American celebrities. Like I saw one with like Rihanna. I was like, Rihanna looked different. <laughs> <laughs> this don't look like Beyonce, but it says Beyonce on it. Yeah. Do you know of, or have you seen, or does it sound probable that there is a movie entitled Meek Mill versus Drake? A Nollywood movie. I have heard that on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I haven't fact checked it myself. No. I've also heard that there is a film called Beyonce versus Rihanna. <laughs> and the thing you have to understand about Nigerian film naming conventions is it doesn't have to star Meek Mill, Drake, Beyonce, right. or Rihanna, but it's a catchy ass title, and you're gonna right. click. You're gonna you're gonna buy the 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 C D V D. So I would assume that in Beyonce versus Rihanna, sure. or vice versa, that it would be two actresses, one pretending to be not necessarily really. Yeah, that's see, that's your first error. You oh, assume shit. like a line of logic. That one would be <laughs> that one would be playing Beyonce, one would be playing Rihanna. Not right. necessarily. It's possible. Uh-huh. But it doesn't necessarily fall into place. Oh man. And that's um, part of the genius of Nollywood. I'm all the way in right now. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna Google this. Nollywood. Drake <laughs> versus it came up instantly. Sure. So we wanted to play for our wonderful listeners a clip that is sort of like traditionally and markedly Nigerian. Yes. And you have a clip for us, yes? Yeah, it's from uh, Girls Cot and it stars Mercy Johnson, who is a treasure and a princess. Okay. And the thing that she says has become sort of a... Um, <laughs> A, a classic rallying cry, and it, I use it. <laughs> I use it whenever, uh, for example, on the street, an idiot kind of steps to me and tries to talk, and I'm just. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna preface it now, but I 
I've, I've said it to other Nigerian girls and they get it. A Nigerian boy, everyone gets. Mercy Johnson uh-huh. is a treasure. And the way she says the particular line, are you all right? Mm-hmm. And she kind of does, she exaggerates, she stretches out the vowels <laughs> and she talks with her hands and she talks with her mouth. But more, th- I don't mean that she speaks, I mean right. her mouth moves right. in a very interesting way and her neck is moving and she seems genuinely flummoxed. Like, are you all right? Are you actually <laughs> all right? Um, so I love that clip. And I think for me, that is one of, of recent years. It's one of the most iconic kind of sounds of <laughs> a Nigerian on screen. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful. Okay, we'll start here. With me all day, okay? And now I'm looking for my, my favorite piece. Are you, are you all right? Like, are you all right? Yeah. Look about your shiny suit. Are you all right? Is your suit all right? Get your black ass here. I need to search you. My favorite necklace. The way she says, my favorite piece. And she says, are you all right? Is your suit all right? That to me is the most Nigerian excellent. It's like she's genuinely bewildered. Like, I need for you to explain it to me like I'm two. Is your suit all right? I also love, you know how people will be like, when it comes to like black American girls, like, I can't stand a female that talks with her hands, which yeah. I think is fucking ridiculous because everybody talks with their hands. It's another arbitrary beautiful. thing. It's beautiful. And I feel like this is where we get it from. But listen, <laughs> okay, as someone who is like, you don't know, my name is Bim Adewunmi, so I'm, oh. a, I'm a Nigerian. Okay. okay. Right. I, grew up, I, you know, I grew up partly in Nigeria. Uh-huh. And my whole life, I have been talking with my hands. Uh-huh. And long before I knew it was a thing Americans did, yeah. I clap when I'm I saying. talk. This is this is a generational. It's not, it's it's, Af- it's it's in us. Like, it is it's, us. It is in it our is bones. Right. And so when people kind of go, oh, I can't stand. And I'm just like, you need to shut up. You we need shut to, all the way up. Forever. The entire hell up. I saw that recently on some some dude and he was kind of like, oh, I don't like Ugh. loud girls. And I was like, well, I guess it's time Sorry. for you to go. <laughs> because I'm going to be very loud and right. I will clap. All day, fam. <laughs> and what? This Say is- something. <laughs> is your suit all right? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I want to say it all the time, but I'm too. I'm gonna have to just like lean into my countryness when I, I do think it. Lean all the way in. Is your suit okay? <laughs> is your suit all right? Because then, <laughs> I'll be behind you going, "Is it all right? <laughs> is your shiny suit all right? Your suit? Ooh, <laughs> is it okay? <laughs> That's the remix." <laughs> So we've been having a blast talking about black film and all things therein. And now we're going to continue the conversation only with a third voice who knows lots of smarty pants things. We are here with Miss Aisha Harris. She's a culture writer at Slate and host of the new Slate podcast, Represent, where she talks about the representations of black folks in media. And she's got one of the biggest, brightest smiles and the most adorable dimples I've ever seen. Um, Thank you. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome to the studio and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Of course. How are you, my dear? I am wonderful. I'm yeah? so excited to be here. You ready to talk black films? Oh, yeah. You wrote an amazing piece, which seems like it was probably a pretty big undertaking, the black film canon, published at Slate, where you and a bunch of other smarty pants folks like Wesley Morris, Ava DuVernay. Gina prince Bifwood, <sighs> Yes, and Julie Dash. Mm-hmm. Um, you all came together and decided on 50 black films to represent the best of the best that there is, right? 
Um, we're going to put it in the newsletter. But we wanted to start off by talking about this piece and a conversation that I've been having with uh, quite a few of my friends lately as I was preparing for this episode is what constitutes a black film. And we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I mean, is it a movie that has an all black cast? Is it a movie with like 50% black people? Cause it's kind of a big deal mm -hmm. still, which is very sad. Is it a movie about black things? Is it a movie like financed by black people or produced by black people? Like how do you define black film? That is such a difficult question. Mm -hmm. uh, for the You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, for the purposes of this, we wanted to make sure that this uh, was about black people being able to tell their own stories. Okay. And I think that's one form of what a black film can be. And, you know, there, there's a reason why we left off such movies as Cabin in the Sky or The Color Purple or um, Lady Sings the Blues. It's because those are films, yes, they have all black casts or predominantly black casts, but a lot of those were Hollywood studio films mm. and they were directed by usually a white man. And... There, there's a difference between making a movie with black people and having a non-black person behind it and having an actual black person behind it. Mm -hmm. Now, there are at least two films, I believe, on this list that are directed by black filmmakers, but they're not necessarily, quote unquote, about black subject matter. Right. One of them is The 25th Hour by Spike Lee, mm -hmm. which is, I love that movie, uh, <laughs> but it, it also is not about being black and there's maybe one or two people of color in the cast, Rosario Dawson being one of them. Mm -hmm. And then we also have I Like It Like That, uh, which is a little scene indie from I think around 1994. And that film is directed and is about a Puerto Rican family. Mm. And so to answer your question, <laughs> black film, I think, is very, very um there are many ways to define it. And I think from the point of view that we were doing, we wanted it to be about the black filmmakers. I think when you go talk about the way black black films are marketed, that's a whole different thing. Uh -huh. Because if a movie stars Will Smith, that doesn't mean it's gonna be a black film. Right. Even if his wife is black and the whole like Pursuit of Happiness is not considered yeah. a quote unquote black film. Yeah. yeah. And what was the one film where he was like a was he like a golf caddy? What was Oh, Legend Bag of Vans. Bag of fucking Vans. With, with uh, Matt Damon. <laughs> with Matt who, Damon. Yeah. Who knows yeah. so much about diversity as we know. Of course. Well, he he's now more than the rest of us. Yeah, yeah. now he's in that uh, Great, Wall of, Great Wall of China movie. Jesus Christ. Wait, what the hell is it? Yes. Mm. So <laughs> Jesus. It's a movie in which he plays the white man in maybe set, like, I don't remember what century it is. It's like 14th century, century China. Yeah. He's uh, the lead. Yeah. It's uh, like, it's like yeah. uh, that Tom Cruise movie where Last samurai. samurai, yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. my god. There are so many parallels. I just, I, I just, I look at Matt Damon, and all I think is, "Are you all right? <laughs> are you okay?" I used what? to love him. I don't know what happened. Same, same. I had a deep <laughs> affection for Matt Damon, and now it's just kind of soured into something, yeah, like, like curdled milk. And yeah. it happened so quickly. Like mm. all I needed to see was him silencing one black woman. That's all it takes. That's and it. I was like, all That's right. It. I'm like, oh, so you're an enemy of the state. Good day. Cool. Gotcha. Right. <laughs> God. Um, so recently, John Singleton said that the state of black film is quote unquote dismal. I was at that I, that speaking. Were you? So I was at the 25th 
anniversary mm-hmm. of Boys in the Hood screening. I think they had yeah. one in LA. I went to the one in New York, and mm-hmm. they had a Q&A afterwards with Walter Mosley, the, oh, the author He's so of... He's stylish. He's the best. He is. He was dressed very stylishly. Yeah. I just love him. Uh, yeah. Man. Yeah. He, he also... Skimbe. Sorry. Sorry. Carry on. <laughs> uh, he also uh, wrote one of the other movies on our list, Devil in a Blue Dress. So good. Yes. So good. Oh, Denzel, man. Um, <laughs> Vintage Denzel. The peak in a nice suit. Hey. Oh. Hey. I feel like an auntie at church. <laughs> yes. Lord, Lord, Lord. But yeah, the di- <laughs> that's the dirtiest auntie in the world. <laughs> okay, so you were you were sorry with it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, the dismal. Well, this is a professional podcast. Why did I let you ask that? <laughs> sorry. So sorry. <laughs> Lord, Lord, Lord. <laughs> she got to like, get a like, <coughs> at the end of like, Lord, Lord, Lord. <clears throat> Lord. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, okay. So I guess my question is, how do you feel about that statement? Do you agree? Do you disagree? I took a little bit of issue with that quote, if only because when he said that, he also put it sort of into context. And he said, one of the issues I see with black film today is that there is not enough um, personality or distinctiveness in what film, black filmmakers are doing. He said a lot of them are sort of watering down what they do. They're not repping where they're from. They're they're kind of becoming too assimilated. What? Yeah, and I was, and he didn't. He did not <laughs> name names. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then I was just going through my head. I was like, well, Ava DuVernay has made very specific films. Middle right. Middle of Nowhere is a very specific film and has yep. a very distinct point of view. Yep. Ryan Coogler obviously has, right. even though he was working in Hollywood with Creed, that was still a very people, I haven't been to Philly in years, but people who I know who are from <laughs> Philly say that like he got all of the sort of the cultural aspects of that film right. Mm. And if you are from Philly, you would know that. Uh-huh. And so I took issue with the the idea that that's the reason why black the state of black film is dismal is that there aren't enough you know distinct yeah. black voices like that black black I don't know what that like yeah. he didn't, he didn't say that black black but that was kind of the like the, the implied the implied thing yeah and I just don't agree with that assessment I do think that if you want to talk just about the fact that it still does feel like black film is not where it could be sure. I think that's a totally valid, you know, point to make. Yeah. Like even without knowing the context or a lot of the context, I was like, this is something that a black man would say. <laughs> because I'm just like, you know, every day, you know, I turn on I turn on the internet. <laughs> I, I look at the Twitters and yeah. I'm just like, there are black women directors and filmmakers who are doing like really, really big shit. You've got Ava DuVernay, you know, like there's Queen Sugar, there's this documentary that she just made. Yes. And I'm just like, you know, according to whose standards, it right. just sounds like right. either the um, the movies that black women are making are not included in this definition of like black that you have or you're just not paying attention to the black women who are out there making right. movies. I mean, I mentioned two black British directors earlier and mm-hmm. they're both women, Ama Asante and Destiny Akaraga. And like I said, Destiny made a film about black Nigerian British um, cultural mores. Oh. Ama Asante made a historical drama about a black woman in the UK. Mm-hmm. If that's not repping where you're from, then I really don't know what Mr. Singleton would like. Right. I feel like his standard for the thing that he's looking for is 
his own work is Boys in the Hood. If we're looking at blackness as one thing, mm-hmm. what tends right. to happen is you look a certain, you look at a certain film, and then you hold that up as the thing that everyone's chasing. Mm-hmm. Never mind the fact that things may have changed, or we have different interests, or we're doing just more interesting or, or different things. Right. And that, you know, I think I find that quite, you know, it stunts any kind of growth. If we're holding up a twenty-five-year-old film mm-hmm. as the kind of the, the height of greatness in terms of right. black film. Yeah. Then everything else will fall short automatically. Mm-hmm. So we know what John, we, we know what word John Singleton would use to describe or has used to describe the state of black film. Um, I'm going to give you a very tough task and ask you to give me your particular word that you would use to describe the current state of black film. I would say precipice. Mm-hmm. It, <laughs> <laughs> I feel as though Things are things are getting better for for black filmmakers and mm-hmm. and for black people as as performers and producers. You have you know obviously you have the heavy hitters Shonda Rhimes, you have Lee Daniels. Mm-hmm. Can't forget Tyler Perry because he is employing people. But <laughs> but then you also thanks to YouTube and just being able to have all this technology that's a lot cheaper. Mm-hmm. There's so many other avenues for people of color to create what they want to create and not necessarily have to rely as much on breaking out into Hollywood as possible. Mm -hmm. So that makes it promising to me. And you see so many, even on YouTube, there are so many web series and channels, not just Issa Rae, but you also have like Black and Sexy TV, which produces a bunch of different web series. Oh, it's great. You should check it out. Huh. I will. Yeah. So there's a lot of flour- there's there's a lot of flourishment happening, and <laughs> I feel I feel good about it. Uh-huh. And I mean, we are definitely not anywhere near where we should be, of course. And thanks, America. Yeah. <laughs> and me being the cynic that I am, I don't know if we ever will be. But nah. yeah, no. <laughs> but I feel good about it, and I and I think that as so long as people keep, you know, not relying on Hollywood. They'll be they'll be good, mm-hmm. but keep but keep bugging Hollywood because they deserve yeah, to sure. they deserve to be taken a task. That's been one of the greatest things about social media, like the social media boom and Black Twitter, is that now like when you insert our voice into these conversations that have been about us but have never included us, like the the conversations change, sure. the tone changes, mm-hmm. and um, also we were talking in the office today about Vine and Vine stars, mm. and you know now like you don't have to go through like white folks anymore to be like hey listen to me listen to my story my story is worth it and i think it's a a beautiful wonderful thing so your piece um the black film canon was inspired by and correct me if i'm wrong the whole oscars so white controversy yes Um, if you're not familiar the oscars is white as fuck (laughs) white folk don't be giving us a chance they don't see us etc etc so we get left out of award shows. And there are a lot of people who are like, ugh, why do you care about award shows? Blah, blah, blah. But it matters. And you talk about this in your piece as well. Because when you're like listing important films, you know, like people listen to that. People see it and they absorb it. So when you don't name or list any black films there, people begin to believe that these aren't like worthy films or movies. Like, is there any hope there? I think there, especially this year, for better and for worse is going to be very much a return to sort of the year that Denzel and Halle and Sidney Poitier all got awards at the Mm -hmm. Oscars Mm -hmm. where, uh, because everyone's looking for a way to say, hey, we're not so racist. Look at this. Right, right. Nate Parker has Birth of a Nation. People have been clamoring about that. And 
Uh, there's also the movie Loving uh, yep. about the very historic case um, with the Supreme Court uh, that ended miscegenation laws mm. across the entire country in 1967, I believe it was. Mm. And stars Ruth Negger. Yes. And uh, so I think that that's totally going to happen this year. And yay, that's great. Yay. But, <laughs> but, but to me, there's always this wave, right? Because mm. it, it happens, this happened the same with like black television where you mm. had different strokes, you had good times, you know what's happening. And then the 80s, you had Cosby, but that was a about it mm-hmm. for the most part and then you might have and it was had... also a very conservative view of like blackness exactly mm-hmm. it, like it went the other direction it went from yeah. good times super super poor to <laughs> super rich mm-hmm. and then in the 90s we had this burst again but then in the early 2000s and then up until these last three years it, it was like a drought mm, and so right. these things come in waves and i think yeah. we're coming back up on the wave when it comes to oscars and recognition mm-hmm. and i think once we get comfortable after either this year or two years, it's all gonna like, it could recede again. Mm -hmm. But I do have a little bit of hope because we have more people like Ryan Coogler and Ava DuVernay and lots of even Asian and Asian actors who are now speaking out more prominently Mm -hmm. and taking people to task. And I think that this is louder than it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And I think that, you know, producers are hopefully seeing now that there is money to be made mm-hmm. in casting diverse people yeah. and funding them and re- like representing them in, at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. It's like Heaven said that after a while, you just kind of appeal to the most base yeah. urge, which is to make money. Right. And it's like, like, listen, right. There's you cash can make here. money. Right. This. So why don't you? Right. Yes. Which is disheartening, but also just very, very honest. Yeah. You know, the real change is going to come when you put black people at the seats of the tables where like the real big decisions are being made I want to ask a few questions about black movies for all of us to answer so let's start with an easy one (laughs) what's the best black movie of all time (laughs) (laughs) oh easy easy sure (laughs) oh god (laughs) Like if somebody's like, I'll give you one hundred dollars if you can answer this question for me. What do you say? I mean, it it has to be do the right thing. Mm. I think I know a lot of people might give me shit for this, uh, although a lot of people won't. Yeah. But if you're just going to talk about, if you're going to check off all the boxes of cultural influence, of aesthetics, of storytelling, of just impact and and emotional raw power, and everything that black filmmaking can be I mm-hmm. feel like do the right thing is is that now okay. it's not my favorite movie but right. I will say if I'm gonna if I'm gonna hold any movie up to that standard to me it is do the right thing take his mic and you look I'm a righteous black man unless you be in serious trouble man serious why don't you move back to Massachusetts I was born in Brooklyn Bim I reserve the right to change my mind at any time. Yes. But you know what I really love uncomplicatedly every single time? Mm -hmm. Waiting to exhale. Yes! You know what? I need to revisit it. I've never seen it as an adult woman. I was like 13, 14 when I saw that movie. I urge you to. We included it on our list. And... I, 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 well, I didn't really have to fight for it. I was just like, Dan, I'm putting this on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, no one else that we polled like gave this movie, but mm-hmm. I was like, you, you gotta, 
It's got everything. It's got it's everything. It's Terry McMillan. Mm-hmm. It's Whitney trying to act. Oh, <laughs> you know, it's got Loretta Devine. Loretta, uh-huh. she is Loretta, such a cultural she's a, artifact. She's a queen. Yes. I hope he's not watching me walk away. <laughs> I love... It has Gregory Hines, for God's uh, sake. Beautiful Gregory, Gregory Hines. Hines. Very sexy in He was so I mean, he yes. works with his hands. Listen. Mm. And he can dance. Uh, yeah. R.I.P. Gregory. Man, I loved him. Mm. So no, that feel, And then it has the iconic scene of Angela Bassett setting that uh, the car on fire and although, then walking away. Although the the even better scene, I think, is when she slaps the white woman in the office. Listen, oh, <laughs> listen. <man. laughs> that was an emotional scene. That is a gift for days. I right. mean, I think ah. I applauded at home and then I sat on my hands like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> It was necessary, that slap. Uh, also, it gave us a soundtrack, which gave us the that, iconic Mary J. Blige line. Not going to cry. Fun, yes. Eat sacrifice. Mm. Besides <laughs> the kids, I have nothing to show. Wasted my years up in a wife. I should have left your ass a thousand times. One thousand times. <laughs> you know what? One She was like, I'm going to leave times. you. I'm going to come back. <laughs> I'm gonna leave, and then I'm gonna come, come back. back. <laughs> right. We gonna do it for a while. Ninety-seven. <laughs> Everybody is swaying. Raise in the your lighter. Room. Just raise your lighter. Can Mary just, J. Blige, man. That that oh. soundtrack in general. Babyface. So Babyface killed it from beginning to end. Beginning from, to end. From yeah. Shoop. Uh, all the yes. way down to that song she does with Cece. Uh-huh. Um, uh huh. The best Count friend. On me? Is that that oh, one? Count on me. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that Count the song. Count on me for a second thing. A friendship that will never end. When you are weak, you are weak. weak. Be strong. I'll be strong. Helping you to carry on. Call <laughs> on me. Ahead, I then. will be there. Don't. Don't be afraid now. (laughs) (laughs) So good. I think my answer, Malcolm X, Spike Lee. Mm. I mean, it was just... That was a movie where I watched it and I was like, wow, this is like a powerful movie because there were so many moments of just like raw emotion. Like when Denzel, when Denzel, Lord, when <laughs> Malcolm X met Elijah Muhammad for the first time and he's like stooped over and his eyes are just like filled with tears. I was like, this man has to get all the awards. Then he got nothing. I was like, fuck this place. <laughs> he might have gotten an NAACP award, but. Well, sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Not to, not to shirk the NAACP Not award. at all. No, no. But, you know, but, I'm just like. Yeah. No. Uh, that movie was powerful. It was so, it was just, it was so. Denzel in general, I think, has this very underrated career behind him. Mm. And Malcolm X is one of those films where you think, oh, I think you should have won at least seven Oscars. Oh, my. So. oh yeah. At least seven. Yeah. Mm, at least. Mm. Like, he how was do very you justify good. not, how do you, why people I wonder what that? won that year. What Some, what year was that? 92? 92, I think. I think. Oh, I think it was Al Pacino. You know what? Incent of a woman. You know what? Damn it. I could Scent be wrong. I'm angry again. I could be wrong, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it was Al Pacino. Uh, Scent of Are you a woman. all right? <laughs> Al Pacino, is your shiny suit all right? <laughs> it look a little dusty. <laughs> what... Aisha, in your opinion, is the most underrated black film? 
Okay, I'll try to do this quickly. Mm-hmm. I think there's a, there are different kinds of underrated black films. Okay. There are the kinds of underrated black films that black people love, but other people don't really know about, mm-hmm. or they don't hold it up in as high esteem. I would say Love and Basketball is one of those movies. Really? Yeah. I, f- I feel like, you know, it has its some of its um, champions. I think Robert, Roger Ebert was one of the few people who, like, really championed that movie when it first came out. But mm-hmm. he he was good about that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, Shout out to Shaz. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Love and Basketball. And then I think for movies that are just underrated completely in a way, or I feel like a lot of black people or no one really talks about it, is Devil in a Blue Dress. I can't mm. tell you how many people, black people, who are my age or younger, mm-hmm. they don't know about this movie. That is a travesty. And I'm just like, really? Uh, no, that's so wrong. sad. It's All such a good suits. movie. Yeah. Ugh, Don see- Cheadle. Oh, my. Oh, on a bed of rice. Don uh, Cheadle on a listen, bed of rice. <laughs> seven times on a Sunday. Ben, what about you? What's the most underrated black movie? Well, this is a film I saw very recently called The Watermelon Woman. <gasps> that was on the mm. list, right? It was on the list. Mm-hmm. I think it's by someone called Cheryl Dunye. Mm-hmm. And it's just this alive, wonderful, warm, incredibly funny. It's mm. just really, really great. And it, I don't think enough people know about it in any, not just black audiences. No one knows about this bloody film. I didn't know about this film and I'm a culture writer. Mm-hmm. And then I watched it and I just thought, Jesus, how do we get this film out there? And it's, it's super 90s too, which, so I, which 90s. I love. It's it looks like it looks like, a, it looks like a gap ad. It was made in the 90s? Yes, yes. yes. It's great. I heartily recommend it. And I think more people should see it as an example of goodness. I think my, my vote for most underrated black film, I would say Tangerine. Have y'all seen Tangerine? Love Tangerine. Tangerine. Oh, man. It's great. It was so good. And I didn't even realize that I liked it until like the middle of the movie. I was like, wait a minute. This is really good. Yeah. So if you're not familiar, it's a movie that was shot, I think, entirely on like smartphones, yeah. on iPhone 5. Yeah. A lot of yeah. post-production work, but yeah. all yeah, on yeah. iPhones. Yeah. Right. And it stars um, two trans women. One of them like just got out of jail and she finds out that her man is like cheating on her. The other one wants to be a singer. And it just like covers an entire day of their lives. One's running around trying to find her little no count ass (laughs) boyfriend, which who can waste my everyone can identify with that. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's about like their love and support for each other. It's got hijinks out the ass. It's crazy. And it's such a pretty movie. Okay. What is a black movie moment that you will never forget? Or what is your favorite quote from a black movie? Okay, so one of my favorite lines is from um, a movie directed by Rick Famuyua, who directed Dope last Mm -hmm. year and is going to be directing the new Flash movie. Um, It's Brown Sugar. I know it's a cheesy rom-com, but I... I choose my choice. Hey, okay, I'm living in you my can truth. Be yourself in the studio. Thank you so much. You're I welcome. appreciate that. You're welcome. But there's a bit where Dre says to Sydney, <clears throat> "I'm going to say this in my Tay Diggs voice. <clears throat> <laughs> you are the perfect verse over a tight beat, which is cheese fucking tastic. <laughs> oh my god. However, Damn, if Christ. someone fucking said that to me, <laughs> I would mother all their children." Okay. Oh my god. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. How about you, Aisha? Okay. I'm gonna break my, the rules of my list again because for whatever reason, this these <laughs> and these are it'll be quick. These two movies uh, were just a huge part of my childhood, mm-hmm. and they were not direct. They were not directed by a black person. Anyway, they're two TV movies. Uh, the Jacksons and American Dream. Yes. Oh, and the Temptations movie. Ah, <laughs> yes. And so and so these things were on VH1 
all the fucking time. Uh-huh. And I've they're seen probably them. on right now. Yeah. <laughs> and I've probably seen those movies more than almost any other movie in mm-hmm. the world. Uh, so the first moment from Jackson's American Dream is when Kate discovers that Joe is cheating on her. Oh, and she yes. comes, and she, and she comes and she comes, she like she she overhears him on the phone and she comes and <laughs> she's like, I love you, Kate. And it's Angela Bassett playing. Uh, yes. yes. <laughs> she was born to play vengeful women. Absolutely. Angry yes. women. I love her. She's like, I love you. You told me you loved me. Mm. And then she just goes into yeah, this. She's this. Like, you a lie and you were cheat. Yes, 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 yes. And I don't want you no more. I don't want you no more. I don't want you. I don't want you. <laughs> you're a liar and you're a cheat. And I don't want you. No, I don't want you. 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 There's also another earlier moment where she's like yelling at at Joe for um for like torturing the kids and she's like uh-huh. go to bed Joseph yeah go to bed and then it cuts to commercial uh, <laughs> that was just a commercial right there okay and uh, really, and really so quickly good. the temptations moment I think everyone kind of, of quotes course. it oh, but it's classic. when it's when Leon is like ain't nobody come to see you Otis. <laughs> As David Ruffin. <laughs> oh, yes! Ain't oh nobody. My God. Ain't nobody coming. So uh, It's a classic for a reason. I, I love yeah. it when people on Twitter say that to other people. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't nobody coming to see you, Otis. Sit down. It is better than by Felicia. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's more distinct. It hasn't permeated the, mm-hmm. the, the, the mainstream It's not gentrified yet. yet. Right. Yeah. Soon, though. Soon. It's Twitter. Don't worry. It's It'll coming. Mm-hmm. I'm the one selling the records. They coming to see me. They coming to see the temptations. Ain't nobody coming to see you, Otis. You wish you could work it the way I do. But you can't. Because there is only one David Ruffin. I'm going to go with what's love got to do with it. Yes. Um, once again, Miss Bassett. <laughs> and uh, it's the moment where, you know, um, Tina is, she's good. You know, she's gone on. She's left Ike. She's, you know, doing her rock music, whatever. And he shows up at her dressing room. <gasps> yeah. And he takes out the gun, right? And he puts it on the table. He's like, oh, look at him now, huh? <laughs> Not what he says at all. But he just sounds like an uncle. He's like, uh-huh. You see that? You see that? And she's like, <laughs> oh, my God. She's like, what you going to do with that, Ike, huh? Hit me? Pistol whip me? And the way that she said pistol whip, I was just like, you know he's not going to pistol whip you. You better stand up to that man. You better do it. So what do you want to do? I don't know. Shoot me? Pistol whip me? How that woman does not have a friggin' Oscar yet. It's a it's a travesty. Insane. Angela Ugh, Bassett. Insane. Angela Bassett. Angela fucking Bassett. Miss Angela Bassett to you, uh, Hollywood. She just no respect to her. It's upsetting. Her arms alone should oh. have an Oscar. My God. Like, She's just consistently moisturized for 25 years. Right. Who? How? Uh, I love my mother, but I, I would make her my second mother. <laughs> <laughs> I would. She'd be my second mother. She I want would. her to be my auntie. Aisha, this was so much fun. Thank you for stopping by. Where can people find you and your work in your new Bright Shiny podcast? Yes. So Represent is on iTunes, Stitcher, and all those other wonderful places that you can get podcasts. And I'm on Twitter at Crafting My Style. And also we have a web, uh, Facebook page for Represent, at Slate Represent. Same for Twitter. We will put Aisha's fantastic Slate article, The Black Film Canon, in our newsletter. So if you're not signed up, go to www.buzzfeed.com 
ko.com slash another round slash newsletter. We could have done this for 78 more hours. Um, Bim and I are going to get together to watch Nollywood movies. You are officially invited. Ooh, yes, please. Yes. Hey, Bim, guess what time it is? What time is it, Tracy? It's time to buy a round for someone or something that you really like that you think doesn't get enough shine in life. Oh, turn up. Yes. Hey. Hey. That was beautiful. Would you like to buy your round first since you're our esteemed guest? I think I would. Thank you very much for the opportunity. You're I welcome. I would like to buy a round for and excuse me if I cry. Oh. I'd like to buy a round for Marks and Spencer. Oh, who are those people, girl? I don't know. <laughs> they are a department store in the UK. Oh, I thought they were <laughs> I just miss Marks and Spencer so much. I was like, who is Spencer, girl? <laughs> Where did he go? The love of my life. No. Um <laughs> If you're Martin listening, Spencer, Spencer. <laughs> come back. I love you. You no. come and chase Bill at an airport this instant. <laughs> no, Marks and Spencer is a department store in the UK that has all the things. It has the best biscuits, the best socks. Wait, hold on, wait. No, 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 British biscuits. Don't get all excited. I know, but there's food at, when you say department store. Uh-huh. They sell everything. Including food. Everything. The Marks and Spencer huh. food hall is uh, an icon. You have to explain stuff to me in dumb American terms. Sure, happy to. Is this like the the uh, the food court in IKEA? No. Oh, I'm so sad you think that. Oh my that. gosh! First of all, first of all, <laughs> there's a lot of trash in IKEA, but those meatballs, whether I, they're horse or not, are delicious. <laughs> I. Oh my god. It's good. It's good. I horse. mean, I like the food hall in IKEA, but uh-huh. uh, the the Marks and Spencer food hall is about a million it's like actual food. It's actual. It's it's like a it's like a grocery store. But it's everything and it's wonderful and it's actually quite reasonably priced. And I know I sound like they're PR, but I swear I am not. (laughs) I just really miss them because last week I went to try on some bras Mm -hmm. in shops in America. And your underwear situation (laughs) in this country is dire. Go off. Tell me about it. It is dire. Also, the sizing is different. Uh So I walked in there very happily. Hi, hi. Hello. I'm looking for a bra in 32E. And then they handed me a 34 double triple fucking D. (laughs) And I was like, nah, I said 32E, but it didn't work. What? I just... So in that moment, I felt like sliding, like doing a wall slide uh-huh. and just crying for Marks and Spencer. Because Aww. when I go into Marks and Spencer, a nice lady called Doris, who has a tape measure around her neck, <laughs> measures my chest and then gives me the bra I need. And it's reasonably priced and it's comfortable as hell. Uh-huh. And I walk out with my chest, you know, just amply supported. My sitting. back is straighter. Right. You know, I walk out. I feel like, you know, like I'm in a photo shoot, like it's a wind machine. Uh-huh. And here instead, I'm sweating in some <laughs> shop. And they're bringing me the wrong fucking bra size. <laughs> and I just, in that moment, I miss Mark Spencer more than I missed my mom. Aww. And I was like, take me back to England. All I know is I miss Mark Spencer. And so I'm buying them around today because right. they have been there for me from the time I was a child mm. to adulthood. Mm. And if I could, it's the one store I would bring to this country. Um, but who are you buying around for? Um, not who, my fair bim, but what? <laughs> what? I... As I as I smack, <laughs> as I cluck my tongue, it's how you know it's real. <laughs> I am buying around for Thai iced tea. What is Thai iced tea, please? I'm so glad that you asked. <laughs> so typically, I don't fuck with tea this far north of the Mason Dixon <laughs> because it's all terrible. East Coast Northerners, your tea 
is complete trash. Your iced tea is complete trash. I feel like that's racist, but I'm going to let it slide. Uh, sometimes the <laughs> truth hurts. My biggest beef with iced tea is that it's not, I mean, as a Southerner, my tea has to be like syrupy sweet. Like that, like I should go check my blood sugar after this because I might have <laughs> diabetes type sweet. Lovely. And even the sweet tea up here is just, it's just sad. It's just a cup of frowns <laughs> and tears, right? Oh my God. So Thai food, like restaurants, Thai restaurants, they serve tea. It's first of all, it's pretty. Uh-huh. Like the color is like this bright, like orangey, but like reddish with like little gold flecks in it. It's just, it's beautiful. It's so pretty. Aesthetically, it's pleasing to you. It's very aesthetically pleasing. Right. And uh, it's got all these like spices in them. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. Again. I don't know nothing about spices. <laughs> I can't cook. I don't know what it is. But it's just. It tastes like tea, but it also tastes like something so much better than tea. And it's sweet and it's cold. I kind of want to go get some right now. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's, Let's go, go and get some Thai ice tea. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> ben, we did it. We did it. We did it. Yay. Yay. How do you feel? I feel fantastic. I feel energized. My skin is moisturized. My credit's better. I'm Bam. so happy Whoa, to be here. Wait. You're better off than I am. So See another round magic. Well, we need to talk about my credit another round team. What the hell? Thank you so much to Aisha Harris. It was late for stopping by and talking movies with us. Ben, thank you for being my second official guest co-host. Hey. It was a fantastic experience. It was wonderful. Thank you Please so much for having me. I will course. I will love to come back. Where can the people find you in your work? They can find me at buzzfeed.com, the website, and they can find me on a, a newsletter that I should write more often called <laughs> The Fuck Is This? <laughs> And that's on Tiny Letter. <laughs> and are you on the Twitters as well? I am on the Twitters. I am at B-I-M-A-D-E-W. You can find me on Twitter at Rookie McPoverty because I don't have any money. Na, 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 na. Heaven you can find on Twitter at Heaven Rants. That's Heaven spelled like the place in the sky and Rants as a thing that Donald Trump is probably doing right now as we speak. This episode was produced by the Pod Squad. This episode was produced by Eleanor Kagan, Julia Furlan, and Antonia Sarahito with production help from Meg Kramer. Thank you to Paul Ruest at Argo Studio, so I have not seen him forever. It's always so good to see him. Thank you to our in-house musicians, Miss Jean Gray. You can follow her on Twitter at Jean Greasy and Don Will of the Almighty Tanya Morgan, which is a rap group. I've learned lately that people think that Tanya Morgan is a person. Makes total sense. It's my fault for not being very detailed. You can follow him on Twitter at Don Will. You can follow us on Twitter at Another Round. You can find us on Facebook at Another Round. You can email us at Another Round at BuzzFeed.com. For the 57th time, please sign up for our newsletter. It's so good. The address where you can sign up is BuzzFeed.com slash Another Round slash newsletter. We have merch. You can get a coffee mug. You can get an Another Round t-shirt if you go to shop.buzzfeed.com. We're taking another vacation this month, but we will be back soon with all new episodes. We promise. We love you. We mean it. Drink some water. Take your meds. Call your person. Bim, do you have any good uh, take care of yourself advice? I do. It's twofold. Okay. One, soak your feet. Oh. It's so hard Walk just walking anywhere. Mm-hmm. Okay? What should they soak them in? Just Epsom water? Epsom salts. Mm. It's just beautiful. I don't know what Epsom salts do, but I, I always mean, hear. I mean, shout out to Google.com. It's amazing. <laughs> Epsom salts are amazing. Okay. Um, so that's one. And then uh-huh. the second thing, because I'm a stereotypical British person, sure. is have a cup of tea. Hot mm, tea. Not hot sweet tea. tea. Not iced you know tea. What? You didn't have to say it A that hot way. cup of tea. Uh, 
and not microwave water, kettle water. What's the difference? Oh my sweet lord. <laughs> you put the kettle on. Who has a kettle? Oh my god. <laughs> I am so offended. I am so offended. I don't own a tea kettle. I will you know I'll, what? I'll think about getting a tea Shut this whole thing down. Okay. <laughs> the lights just went out. Everybody's gone. <laughs> Goodbye forever. Everybody drink some tea. <laughs> Are you all okay? Right? <laughs> Are you all right? It's Is you going to be okay? All right. Look at your suit. Are you good? <laughs> Look at your damn suit. <laughs> he was such a cat daddy. That's his life. Ah! That's the life he chose. A cat daddy stealing people's jewelry. <laughs> they, they exist across the spectrum. They're in Washington. They're in the South. They're in Nigeria. Cat daddies live Worldwide. everywhere. Worldwide. Cat daddies. That would be a great documentary. Wouldn't it? Cat daddies of the world. Ah! The international All cat these daddy. men in their shining suits. <laughs> Are they, they okay? <laughs> we investigate. <laughs> yeah. Ha, 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 ha.